This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 9th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The sustained and rapid alleviation of global poverty is little short of a miracle, but it's happened largely because of the extending of capitalism to some of the most impoverished parts of the world. In his new book, Poverty and Progress, development economist Deepak Lal has drawn on 50 years of experience around the globe to describe the realities of economic development. We spoke in June. What do we know about changes in poverty in developing countries over the last half century or so? Well, it's been, it's been an incredible transformation. I mean, I started working on developing countries, I think, in 1962, an academic, etc. And if you told me at that time, or even last 30 years, that we would be able to see the, virtually the end of world poverty on, on the road to it, I'd say you're mad, you couldn't pursue it. And it's all happened in the last 30 years. And the turning point really goes back to 1980, because that's when Teng Xiaoping opened up China. So virtually half the world's population, which was poor, was there. And India, which was the next big one, 1991. And then Latin America, because they, after the debt crisis, they all switched policies. And since then, you've seen the fastest reduction in world poverty, or, you know, low-end poverty, any time in human history. So what has driven that? Three things. First, the, most of the world has realized, and this is how the West grew rich, that you could use alternative forms of energy. In the past, the only form of energy, every form of energy you can think of, came from land. Heat, clothes, you know, uh, mechanical energy, if you want, because it's muscle power, all came from the products of land. But land is diminished, it, it is limited, so you get diminishing returns. And that's why you always had growth petering out. Once we learned how to use fossil fuels, that immediately meant that you had unbounded sources of energy and that gave us this unbounded per capita income rises. Now the West learned that and the rest now is learning this. And the greatest danger to that, you know, the rest of the world's poor is if you have the Greens let you say that you can't, can't burn fossil fuels because the world is going to hell with carbon, carbon emissions, etc. So that's one. The second was, um, effectively learning the policy lessons which Britain first learned under Gladstone. That means what you need in public policy is to have free trade, you must have sound money, and the third is fiscal balance. Now, you know, very simple things, but it's very difficult as we see in the US today for these countries to actually accept that. And the third thing was globalization, which allowed worldwide trade and commerce. 19th century under Britain, but that came to an end with the First World War and then a terrible period, interwar period. And then after the 1950s, it starts with the U.S. That early stage is confined to just the West. By 1980, when countries learned that they had to you know, give up all their planning and all this other sort of stuff, they switched China, India, Latin America. And that then brought about this second large period of globalization. We're still ongoing. So these are the three forces which have led to this change, extraordinary change. You said that the, the biggest transformation has happened in the last 30, 30 years, years yeah. but uh, has the development, particularly of China and India, allowed for some discredited ideas to come back? Or you, you talk about ideas that have been discredited becoming uh, p fashionable again. Has this rapid development sort of fostered it's, this? Well, this, you know, the point is that well, there's two points here. First point is that there, one of the things which happened in the post-war period was you had these foreign aid. I mean, foreign aid became a sacred cow. 
This is partly Western killed, partly the fact that in the old days is part of the Cold War thing. Now that created a huge lobby. World Bank professionals, aid lobbies, NGOs, various other people. And this has provided, you know, middle class people, we are, we've all World Bank people by for your this agency in some sense. This provides a very good employment for middle class professionals. And for them, seeing the end of poverty is like saying we're nothing, no, no, you know, our business is, is being destroyed. So I call them lords of poverty. And they are constantly finding ways of justifying all those old policies which effectively keep people poor. Now, there are plenty of academics, unfortunately, amongst the young, who are trying to find new methods, essentially, to try and justify all those discredited ideas. Now, the good thing is that this time around, there are plenty of people in these countries who are not willing to buy this. So I don't think they're going to get anywhere. But still, that's part of the debate. So if you look around, you read your newspapers, you still think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, plenty of misery, poverty, and you can go back and use the same old dirigis means to, in fact, you know, alleviate this. So save Africa, Marshall Plan, all these ideas are still floating around. But I think more and more people are discovering, including in these countries, that this is just not worth it, not, not worth listening to this. So in that sense, it's very hopeful and, you know, sign the progress now. I think can't be stopped by all these bad ideas, fortunately. For uh, countries that have resisted development, uh, sometimes internally, uh, what what would you tell them? Well, failed states, you see, this is, I mean, these are failed states, and, and a lot of them are actually in Africa. But even in Africa, there seems to be a, there is a learning process. My, my classic example is Peru. I was in Peru in the 1980s when Garcia, and he was just, you know, driving the country absolutely uh, into the pits. Now, when Garcia has come back to power, he's learned from his past mistakes. And he now is, you know, taking the old, what's called the old Washington consensus package, he's implemented that, and Peru is booming. Now, the same thing is happening in Africa. A lot of these elites have learned that, in fact, they can't just loot the country anymore. They have to do something more for it. And their populace is learning this too. So I think Af even in Africa, there's a change. But the other states where the basic thing, law and order, I mean, look at Somalia, there are a lot of them, Congo most. And there, I don't know what you can do. Uh, ultimately, either you'll get them conquered by some you know, imperial state, someone is going to conquer them, or they'll find some internal solution. But I don't think there's any solution from outside unless you want to have new imperialism, someone going in you know, the US or someone creating an empire. But I don't think that'll work anymore. So there are some states which are failed states, and they are not ones which one can be very hopeful about at the moment, I'm sorry to say. But they're still but they're diminishing. They're fewer and fewer, which is good. Why uh, have countries like Mauritius in, in Africa not been more influential to the, uh, their their neighbors or other African countries? Well, they, ha they have been. This is one of the well, interesting things is that many countries, Ghana, which was a complete pits now, I remember it literally sank, and I once organized a conference, and they had all these senior civil servants. And I still, I remember the governor of the central bank came in, and he had, you could see his collarbones showing, big man. So he'd obviously been starving. Now, you know, now once you reach that stage, and then the same chap, Rawlings, they used to be called Rawlings necklaces, he then changed course, and Ghana and I is, is thriving. And that's set an example to many of the West African states. So I think that example does work. But then there are other places where, which in some sense have gone backwards, Zimbabwe, 
was doing extremely well until Mugabe went mad and he sort of just, you know, destroyed it. So you can never be certain that they won't go back backwards. But the emulation is there because the citizens now see some of these other African countries and say if they can do it, why can't we? So they are being held to account. And I think, I think it'll take time it is going to happen. You mentioned the Washington consensus. Yeah. I think outside of Washington and no development circles, people don't really know what that is. What is that and where does it really stand in terms of its currency globally yeah. right now? Okay, now the, the Washington, essentially what I described is the Gladstonian package. That is free trade, sound money, fiscal balance. That's really what the, now the, uh, what's his name at the Institute? Oh, I've, I've forgotten his name. He invented this term, the Washington Consensus, when he's working in Latin America. And I call it the classical liberal package. He hates the term. He, he thinks, you know, this is, he wants to add all sorts of other little things in it, but forget that. That's basically it. Now, the Chinese, now that's another story, that's the next book. The Chinese have discovered, largely because, I mean, they've gone back to the bad old ways in some way. And that is because of the, of the global financial crisis. They came to the conclusion that because of the global financial crisis, the Western capitalist system is dead. And they have invented the state capitalism, which is now the answer they think to it. I'm afraid that this is completely false hope, and already that's showing tremendous strain. So there's a whole huge debate in China now about, you know, should we give up the Washington consensus and move to so-called Beijing consensus, i.e. state capitalism rather than old-fashioned American or U.S. Western capitalism. And that's very much in the air, and I suspect that very soon you'll find this Beijing consensus will be buried like all these other fancy things, which you used to hear about in the 50s and 60s about the Third World. Deepak Lal is author of the new Cato book, Poverty and Progress. You can get your copy at cato.org.